0: As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. It's Palm Sunday, and how great was that video from our very own High Point kids? I love how these kids told a familiar story, but in a fresh Way. And it's my prayer today that we would discover fresh insights on the significance of this day as we look into the Psalms. I'm honored to bring the Word of God to you today. I love being the pastor, the online campus pastor. This is an online community of people from all walks of life, all over the world. And God is at work in using High Point at Home to reach people for the kingdom. And as we look forward to the, to the final week of the life of Jesus, what better time to gather together and fix our eyes on Jesus. Palm Sunday, we have Jesus entering Jerusalem, but it was so much more than just, you know, some palm branches and a donkey ride. This was Jesus walking toward the most significant moment in human history. See, God is writing a story. He has been from the very beginning, and you are a part of that story. I'm a part of that story. From creation to the covenant to Christ coming to the Great Commission. And the story concludes with Jesus Christ coming again. God is writing a story and it's beautiful. It's compelling. It's mysterious at times. It's a story of redemption. There is a hero. There is an enemy. And he alone is the author and the perfecter of this story. So the title of the message today is this, When God Writes Your Story. So open up your Bibles, if you have one, to Psalm 105, and let's discover what happens when God writes your story. This psalm is a a summary uh, of a period of time for the Israelites, and we're going to dive into this psalm and see the chapters that God wrote in their story. I want you to to think of a book, and every book has different chapters, different sections, and we're going to discover how those same truths apply to you and I, and the story that God's writing in our lives. So let's like, take a look at the first chapter. First chapter is this The work of God is personal. Well, Psalm 105, verse one, let's read this together. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. These first few verses help frame up really the rest of the message because everywhere we go today is summarized in verse five. So you can look back at verse five. It says this Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgment. So that's, that's actually really important because it's not just remember the good things, remember the hard things as well. So we're supposed to remember all that he has done, but do we stop at remembering? No. Go back to verses one and two. we We're To remember and then declare. We are to make known his deeds among the peoples. We are to tell of his wondrous works. Why? Because when God writes your story, the work of God is personal. He calls it out in Verse six, it says, O offspring of Abraham, O children of Jacob, these are people. Their descendants are people. He's at work in them and He's in work in you. He's work in those around us. That's incredible. Think about that for a second. God's work is miraculously at work in each of our personal lives. The same God that was at work in Abraham's life is at work in you and in me. That's incredible. Now, I mean, let's not get confused. Like, you're, you're not Abraham. I'm not Abraham. He's Abraham. But the, the truth that was written about them is a truth that's for us. See, when God writes your story, his work is personal. It's not one of those, you know, one size fits most kind of hats, like, that don't ever fit my head. It's a large head. It's an issue. It's no, no big deal. This is, this is the perfect chapter for us to start this story as we look at when God writes your story. Because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. He knew you when you were in your mother's womb. His work is personal. And even as we continue through the rest of this message, I want you to remember all the wondrous works that God has done in your life. Even as we hear the story that God wrote for the Israelites, what is he writing in your life? Can you remember a time when God was at work in your life or is currently at work in your life? He's writing your story. God is at work in you. It's personal. It's what he did for the Israelites and it's what he's doing for you. Let's keep reading the story that God has written. Like, you know your favorite book, you got to flip the page and see what's in the next chapter. So chapter 2 is this, starts in verse 7, chapter 2. The word of God is A promise. Let me keep reading. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever. I want you to maybe highlight that or circle it. We're going to see that word come up a few more times. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute to Israel, an everlasting covenant saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. Chapter 2, when God writes your story, the word of God is a promise. See, God is a God of promise. God is a God that is faithful to fulfill his promises. In these verses, you see this word covenant show up a few times, and that word covenant doesn't always carry as much weight to it or as much meaning because, you know, we don't use it all that often in our culture. So the, the question is, what, what is a covenant? Well, It's an agreement, but it's not just an agreement. It's a promise, but it's not just a promise. See, in that time, a covenant was understood as this relationship between individuals that was bound by an oath. And there was an understanding that both parties would hold up their end of the covenant or there would be some significant consequences. Now with God, he made a divine covenant. He made a divine covenant with Abraham, and he said, when you have this divine promise, God actually binds himself to that covenant so that it is ensured to be fulfilled. Think about that for a moment. If this covenant was dependent on Abraham and how Abraham responded, man, it's going to fall flat every single time. If God's promise is dependent on how you and I respond, it's not going to end well, because I know in my life and in Abraham's life, we didn't hold up our end of this agreement. However, God has bound himself to this covenant, meaning he promises to uphold it. He is both the covenant maker and the covenant keeper. Listen, the, we have assurance because he is a covenant-keeping God. Look back at what it says. It says that it, his covenant is forever that it's for a thousand generations. It's an everlasting covenant. So you and I, we can have confidence that the promises of God are not going to just slip through the cracks. It's a deep, strong, solemn commitment from God to his people. And what is this covenant that God made with Abraham? If you remember back in Genesis, Genesis 12, God made a covenant with Abraham that through him, All nations would be blessed. How is Abraham supposed to make sure that that happens? How is he supposed to uphold his end of the promise? That's a huge promise with huge implications. How are all these families, how are all these nations supposed to be blessed? The answer is that, and we're going to see this soon, it's ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. See, when God writes your story, his word is a promise. A promise that he is going to uphold regardless of how you woke up this morning. Regardless of how you treated your family today. Regardless of how you interacted with your coworkers this week. Whether you had a good week or you fell back into that pattern of sinful behavior. He is going to uphold his end of the promise because he is the covenant keeper. See, when God writes your story, the story isn't done yet. He upholds his promises. Just because you maybe get to the end of a chapter or maybe, maybe you had some tough times... It doesn't mean that the story is done. Let's read the next chapter of the story of the Israelites and see what happens when God writes your story. So chapter three is this, the weapons of God offer protection. So we have kind of following along the the storyline of the Israelites and Abraham being called out. God says, all right, here's what you're going to do. And now now what we're going to do kind of from here to the end of the chapter is We're going to fly over the historical account of the Israelites. From God calling Abraham to the Israelites being delivered from Egypt. See, remember, go back to verse 5. It says, the purpose of all of this, the, the purpose to look back at all of these things is so that we can remember the wondrous works that God has done. remembering their story. I want you to ask yourself, are you being reminded of your story and what God's writing in your life? So here we have... Abraham following the call of God, yet we see God protecting him as he follows that call. In verse 13, it says this, that he was wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, but God allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. Even in the midst of wandering, God was at work in protecting them. Now, did everything go smoothly? Was everything perfect? No, you better believe they they ran into some walls. They ran into some hardships. They questioned how is this all going to happen? I mean, can we just all remember how Abraham and Sarah couldn't have a baby? And then they took matters into their own hands and tried to solve the issue. Like, they ran into some stuff, but God was protecting them along the way. You might be thinking in your own life and going, well, I don't really see God's protection in, in my life. I mean, John, you don't understand what we've just been through as a family. You don't know what we've lost along the way. I love this quote from John Piper, and it really helps encourage me because in it says, every day, in every circumstance, God is always doing 10,000 things in your life, but you might be aware of only three of them. See, there's a bigger story at work, and God uses his weapons to protect us, even from things that we don't even see. Maybe you've experienced this in your life, but usually we don't recognize it until afterward because in the moment, it doesn't always feel like we're being protected. It feels like we should be protected from more, please. A good way to, to kind of illustrate this or to think about this is I've got four kids. And so I'm pretty sure I've had this circumstance with each one of our kids going for a walk. All right, well, we need to get the kids. I mean, it's, it's pandemic time. It's COVID time. Well, we need to get, go out for a walk. So we go for a walk. And have you ever been walking down the sidewalk with your kids, and they're just like, you know, oh, look at all this wonderful stuff. And then you come to a a crosswalk or you come to a place where you got to cross the street and they would just keep on walking. They're oblivious to the car that's screaming down the road, but you see it and you might even have to be a little rough and aggressive and grabbing them. Whoa, get back here. But what happened? The strength of your arm actually offered protection. They didn't see something that was going to actually produce death or serious injury. The same is with God and his children. Sometimes he's gotta grab us out of something to protect us for something in the long run. See, when God writes your story, he uses his weapons to offer protection. You know, this is such a good chapter for us to to remember, to to look back on. Like I said, sometimes it's easier to look back on a situation and realize, wow, God, you really were protecting me in the midst of that. Even though I didn't see it in the moment, even though it didn't even feel comfortable in the moment, man, God, you were protecting me. Let's keep reading this story that God wrote. The next chapter is this, chapter 4, the wisdom of God Prepares. Now, the story is moving. We're going through the history of the Israelites, and the story is moving forward to the story of Joseph. And I love the story of Joseph. Let's look at how the wisdom of God prepares us. Let's look at verse 16 and read together. When he summoned a famine on the land and broke all supply of bread, he had sent a man ahead of them, Joseph. Now, can we, can we just stop, stop there for a second? Because if you've ever heard the story of Joseph, and I've heard it a number of times growing up, and I don't think it sounded that, that simple. Or it also didn't sound that nice, honestly, for Joseph. Like, hey, I'm just going to send you ahead to prepare just, you know, for future reference. It sounds like it's this nice little mission or this nice little objective. Hey, let's, let's just send you ahead. Well, let's keep reading. What happens to Joseph as he was sent ahead? It says that he was sold as a slave. His feet were hurt by fetters, meaning shackles. His neck was in a collar of iron. And what it doesn't even say here, but we know from Genesis, he was betrayed by family. He was betrayed by his own blood. He was betrayed by the people that he worked for. He was forgotten by those he helped in prison. So Joseph, Joseph had, had it rough. He probably was like, hey, can we move to the next chapter a little quicker? Not how we would have planned it out. I mean, if Joseph had his way, he probably would have thought, you know what, okay, I can plan out a trip. I'm going to go explore. I'm going to see my options. I'll put my resume out, see if I can get an application, and see if I can find some connections. Then that way, that'll provide an opportunity to help my family down in the future. Brings new meaning to this text in Isaiah 55, 8, where it says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. See, the wisdom of God prepared Joseph for something that Joseph couldn't produce in his own life. Sometimes God in his wisdom walks us through seasons and situations that we wouldn't normally walk through to prepare for us and produce in us what we could not do on our own. And maybe you're in that season right now. Maybe you're feeling it, you're under it, but God is preparing you. God is with you in the midst of the difficulties, and God is going to use you. And that's one of the things I love about Joseph is that you don't see him complaining. And I don't know about you, but when things get hard, I find that my knee-jerk reaction is to start grumbling and start complaining, especially if I've got like an iron collar around my neck or I'm in shackles. I, I just feel like that, I've never had that happen, but I feel like I'd be complaining. But not Joseph. Whatever the circumstances, that he continues to honor the Lord and he lives above reproach. Whatever circumstances that you are in today, I want to encourage you to honor God. Say yes to him. Even when it feels like you might have shackles around you. You might have an iron collar around your neck. Now look back at, at verse 19 where it says, Until what he had said had come to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. But what happens? We see that the king released him. We see that the king made him lord of his house. We see that he made him the ruler of all his possessions. Remember that famine that hit the land? That's, and Joseph was in a position where he was able to save and help his family. In verse 23, it says, Then Israel, who is also known as Jacob, who is just Joseph's dad, came to Egypt. They sojourned in the land of Ham, and the Lord made his people fruitful and made them strong. I mean, Joseph even recognized this at the end of Genesis when he said, he actually had this meeting. If you remember the, the, the situation, Joseph, his brothers are there. He says, as for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I mean, that's an incredible element. I mean, think about that. Even if we can go back a little bit to, to the covenant that God made with Abraham. This is all part of God fulfilling that promise. He preserved the people of Israel by sending Joseph, sending him through all these things, and this is the wisdom of God preparing things in advance. That's God writing the story. That's not how you and I would write the story, but that's how God writes the story. You don't think that God in his wisdom can and will use your circumstances to prepare you for what is to come? You don't think that he can use what you're going through now to create a way for you to serve others in some kind of way or to maybe point someone to Jesus or to come alongside and comfort someone? Maybe it's just to strengthen your own faith. God, in his wisdom, is preparing you. He prepared Joseph, and it was for a much bigger picture. When God writes your story, his wisdom prepares us. The story's not done. Let's keep reading the story that God has written. Chapter five, here it is. The wonder of God is powerful. This one's, I'm excited. I like this chapter. I mean, we're flipping the page. So you're reading this book, the chapter. Okay, God's writing this story. The wonder of God is powerful. So what happens though, is that it kind of takes this interesting turn. Let's look at verse 25 because everything sounds really good in verse 24. His people are fruitful. He made them stronger. Then verse 25, it says this. He turned their hearts. So this is actually God turned the Egyptians' hearts to hate his people, the Israelites, to deal craftily with his servants. What just happened? Like we just went from fruitful and strong to now just things went south really fast. God's children are now in bondage and they're enslaved in Egypt. Suddenly, I don't know if I like when God writes my story. But God isn't done yet. There's another page. He sent Moses to free the people. Verse 26 lets us see that Moses and his brother Aaron were sent by God to talk to Pharaoh and said said to Pharaoh, hey, listen, God told me to tell you, let my people go. Pharaoh refuses and decides, I'm going to put my trust in the gods of Egypt. Spoiler alert, God gets the W. Once Pharaoh decides to trust in these Egyptian gods, Over the true God, it it becomes about just demonstrating to the Egyptians that their gods were no comparison for the one true God. And these next 10 verses from 26 to 36 in Psalm 105, you'll discover just kind of a recounting of the 10 plagues. You got frogs and flies, you got hail and the river turning to blood. And I don't know about you, but as I read it, sometimes I put the emphasis on the wrong place. And I read this and I think, oh, cool, he's talking about the ten plagues. So we have the ten plagues here. We got water turning into blood. We got lice. We got flies. We got boils. Fire hail. I've never seen fire hail. Darkness. Locusts. It's oftentimes we kind of look at this and, and the plagues become sort of the main theme. And we can miss what the real story is here. The emphasis of the story shouldn't be on the plagues. The emphasis of this story is to be on God's Power. The plagues are secondary, but God's power is primary. Let me say that again. The plagues are secondary, but God's power is primary. Rather than being amazed by some flies and gnats, let's be gripped by the wonder and the power of God. Look at with me the way that many of these verses start We don't have to go through and read each one, but it says that he turned their hearts, he performed these, he sent darkness, he turned the waters into blood, he spoke, he gave them the hail for rain, he struck down their vines, he spoke and the locusts came, he struck down. Do do you notice a, a theme here? This is God showing his power. This story is a story about the power of God and what God did. Now, We don't have time to go into a deep study on the plagues, but if you were to study the plagues, you'll discover that each of these plagues is not just a random plague, but rather it actually represented a God that the Egyptians believed would save them, protect them, and bless them. So when God sends each of these plagues, know that he's actually demonstrating his superiority over these false gods. He's going after whatever they've placed their hope in and given their worship to And He says, you think that the sun's going to save you? I'm going to turn the sun dark. You think that the God of the river is going to save you? I'm going to turn that water into blood. You think that the sky God is going to protect you? I'm going to make it rain hail. And miraculously, each of these plagues would destroy the Egyptians, but not the Israelites. Demonstrating the wonder and the power of God. See, this is what happens when God writes the story. And if you know the story of the plagues, eventually God did destroy their belief that the Egyptian gods would protect even their children. And God used this one to ultimately point to Jesus because unless the Israelites applied the blood of the lamb to the doorpost, they also suffered loss of their firstborn male child. In every home, the blood was applied and death passed over their home. This final plague was the one that caused Pharaoh to agree to let the people go. And the story of the Passover became the story of redemption of the people of God And as a matter of fact, it was so important to the Jewish people that they would gather each year to celebrate the Passover feast and were commanded to retell the story. Catch that. They were commanded to retell the story of how God had rescued it. Does that sound familiar? Like verse 1 and 2, make known his deeds, tell of his wondrous works. Even to this day, Jews celebrate the Passover feast. As a matter of fact, it's called the, the Seder meal. The Passover Seder was this weekend. And the entire meal is designed to help you remember the power of God. And the goal was to share the story of what God has done to pass it on to the next generation. We actually got a picture of of what a, a typical Seder meal looks like. And you have the unleavened bread. And this was eaten because it was a reminder of how they had to cook their food when they were in times of slavery, when on their backs was put this burden Then you have the green vegetables, which the green actually is hope. It brings life, but they would dip the green vegetables into salt water to show the hope that they had, but dipped in salt water to reflect the many tears that were shed. You have this mixture of of nuts and honey and fruit, and really the texture of it is actually to symbolize the mortar that was used by the Israelite slaves when they had to lay bricks for Pharaoh's monuments. Then you have the cups of wine. And these represent the power of God. And we see his I will statements from Exodus 6. So let's look at Exodus chapter 6 really quick. This is God saying, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. They celebrate the Passover out of remembrance of what God did to bring them out of Egyptian bondage. However, today, for us, we're celebrating Jesus as the fulfillment of the Passover. The the point of Passover is that it foreshadowed to the cross The lamb's blood that was put on the doorpost, that was a picture pointing forward into the future. And we see it in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. It says that Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. It's no wonder why John the Baptist, seeing Jesus, declared, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, John was living in the wonder of God, recognizing the power of God. It's answered, it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, do you have the wonder of God, the awe of God? Do you recognize the power of God in your life, in the story that God is writing in your life? Do you recognize that Jesus is our Passover lamb? The story's not done. Let's keep turning the page. There's another chapter. Let's go to chapter 6, the wealth of God provides. And this starts in verse 37. Now, we're seeing this story of the Israelites as they leave Egypt and what did God provide along the way? We see it in the text. As they went out, we see this, that he sent them out with silver and gold. He spread out a cloud for a covering and he gave fire to give light. He brought quail. He gave them bread from heaven. He opened up the rock and water gushed out. And then he says he remembered his holy promise. Sometimes we might be reading this and we might be thinking, man, I wish God would provide me with a little more gold, a little more silver, maybe some more food. But the real miracle in this passage is not the stuff He provides, not the things. I mean, He made water come out of a rock, He can provide whatever He wants. Now, the real miracle in this is that God is providing them with His presence. He's providing him his presence by the pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night to lead them. And I love what it says that he remembered his holy promise. This is God, again, going back, that covenant, that promise that he made, that he's binding himself to. He's upholding his covenant with his people. That's the greatest provision that we can ever have. God has not forgotten his promise, and he is going to fulfill it. Even as we celebrate Palm Sunday, and we're looking forward to Good Friday, and we're looking forward to Easter, Jesus entering Jerusalem, walking to Calvary is the ultimate fulfillment of his promise. That's God fulfilling his covenant to his people. See, the people who were shouting Hosanna as he was coming in, they thought that Jesus was going to save them from the rule of Rome, that that he was going to provide freedom from the oppression, the very real oppression that they were experiencing. But what he provided was so, so much more. He provided a way for you and I to dwell in his presence forever. That's the greatest provision that we can ever have. He provided by going to the cross, by paying the price so that you and I could receive this free gift of grace, this gift of forgiveness, that we could spend eternity with him. And I want to stop right here and ask, have you accepted this gift of grace? If you haven't, today is the day. God is writing your story and he might be prompting you right now as a part of your story to receive the love and forgiveness that God has for you. You just simply need to admit the fact that you are a sinner, that you've been through some stuff that you recognize you can't make any of that better on your own. You need to believe that Jesus Christ did come to pay the price for you so that you can have forgiveness, so that you can be made right in the eyes of the Father and then confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe that there is someone out there right now that this is a chapter in their life that they're never gonna forget because you just realize that the provision of God is actually he's providing himself available for you. All you need to do is receive it. And in this season that we're in, as we celebrate Palm Sunday, as we celebrate what God has done, And what all of this looks like, what all of this means, he's remembered his holy promise. And this, written thousands of years ago, is pointing forward to Jesus entering Jerusalem. The final chapter is this, chapter 7, the ways of God are praiseworthy. It says in verse 43, so he brought his people out with joy, his chosen ones with singing. He gave them the lands of the nations that they took possession of the fruit of the people's toil, that they may keep his statutes and observe his laws. Praise the Lord. I love that last statement. Praise the Lord. Now, we've been in the Psalms uh, for the past couple months, and we've been talking a lot about worship and our response. But we praise the Lord not just in our singing, but we praise God in the sharing of what he has done. We praise God when we make known his deeds among the people. We ascribe worth to him, not just in song, but testifying worth by making it known that he is worthy. We can thank him for his work in my life, but I can also tell others about his work in my life. That is worship. I want to circle us back to verses one and two. I've been repeating it this whole time. We are to remember what he has done so that we can make known his deeds among the peoples, so that we can tell of all his wondrous works. We are called to share God's story. We're to share their story, our story. It's all part of God's story. God's the one writing this story. And telling God's story is part of your story. Let me say that again. Telling God's story, God's story from his word and God's story from your life is part of your story. That's what he's called us to do because people need to hear the good news about Jesus who has paid the way for you. We're about to sing in just a moment. We're going to sing these words, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. And just as much as we sing praises, let's remember the story that God has written in your life. And I want you to think to yourself, who do I need to tell? Some of you maybe need to tell your kids. Some of you need to tell your neighbors. Some of you need to tell your coworkers. Who do you need to tell about the good news of Jesus, about the story that he's written in your life, about the story he's written in this book? Who do you need to invite with you this Good Friday or this Easter, whether it's in person or maybe you need to send him a link of High Point at home and use this as an opportunity to make known his deeds among the people and let's tell God's story together. Amen.